If, if you're not supposed to talk about Bruno, you're, you're probably not supposed to talk about this topic in church, all right? Um, it, this is an uncomfortable topic. It, it's a difficult topic. It, it's actually a difficult topic to teach and preach. It can be seen as very radical. It can be seen as very narrow-minded. We're told not to judge others, right? Who are you to, to, to say this or to put that out there? But last week, as we started our series on Ever Wonder Why, we, we talked about why do bad things happen? And we talked about why is evil in the world? And, and if, you, if you weren't here last week, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it, not because of me, not because it was a really well-preached sermon, but because we had some very dear people that shared their story and they preached an incredible sermon. And so go back and listen to that. We talked about like, why do bad things happen? Why is there even evil in our world? And this week is kind of the follow-up to that. And that's why it needs to be here. We have to address the word and the topic of hell. And I remember for me as, as a kid, it was kind of like a crude word. I remember when I was allowed to say the words um, crud, like that was a really big deal for me. Like I had a new word in my arsenal that I could, I could use now. And that was a really big deal. But, but hell wasn't a word that I could use. And so I have to figure out other ways to get around it and be like, oh, no, no, I, I didn't say that. I was talking about hail, like the, the ice balls that come down. That's, that's, I, it was hail. That's what I said, you know. Or we'd say things like, we wouldn't spell the whole word because that would be bad too. But so we'd do like what? H-E- yeah, you know, you know, you did it. That's right. A two double hockey sticks. That's right. And if you were really bad and like you were kind of mischievous when your parents weren't around and you were at school and you, you had your calculator, right? <laughs> seven, seven, three, four, you, you know. Yeah, you did it. You, you look how bad you were, okay? All right. So uh, even as I typed out this message, my computer kept auto-correcting the word to, to he will. Like Apple didn't even want me to type this word out. It's like, don't talk about this. All right. Um, but there's, this, is, this is a topic that I think people want to know about. It's a topic we need to talk about. We have to be able to look at scripture and see what it says about this. We have to figure out our beliefs because other people will talk about it right? There's a whole weird sect of, I'll, I'll, I'll say Christians, with air quotes, that, that will tell people and that will scream at you with a bullhorn with signs that, that, where are you going? Like, they will tell you all about it. My, my wife was running a, a half marathon one time in San Diego. It's a San Diego rock and roll marathon, and she just, she had a blast and great time, and she was like, I'll tell you what, when you like circle around the on-ramp and you're starting to run onto the freeway, and there's a band on the overpass singing Highway to Hell, she was like, yeah, like, that is motivation right there. Like, here we go. We're all doing this. And then you get a little further down. And on another overpass, there's, there's people gathered and there's people with signs and there's people with bullhorns just telling all of these people how wrong they are and, and, and that they're going to hell. And, and it was just, it was almost like shocking. She's looking around going like, no, everyone's so encouraging. Like this is like the runner's group. And this is amazing. And she turns around and she was like, listen, I know Jesus and I love Jesus and that's not Jesus. And everyone around her is like, whoa, what's going on? This other guy's like, I'm with her, all right? Like, no, like, 
I mean, that's a whole nother side story of why we would take time and try and do that. That's, that's not what we're about, right? That's not who we are as Jesus followers. So as we talk about this series of, do you ever wonder why? It, it, this is a safe place. This is an okay place for you to ask these questions and to wonder, like, why is this out there? Why does this exist? How does this fit in with, with this story of, of Jesus and a lamb on his shoulders and be like the little children? How does this fit in with this nice guy Jesus thing that, that, I, that I know and I believe? What, what are we supposed to do with this? Why does hell even exist? So I, I have some challenges in, in this message, all right? Um, my first one is to not like preach a seminary lecture. So I'm sorry, I, this is gonna be a lot of scripture. Can you all handle a lot of scripture? Are you okay with that? Okay. Um, and so we also need to look at the totality of scripture. We need to be able to look at everything and kind of understand where does this go? So I'm gonna throw a lot at you and I promise I will do my best to, to keep it fun and energetic and light and, and narrative story oriented and, and keep your attention and not be like, oh my gosh, this guy's so boring. I, I'm really nervous about this, okay? Um, but also, all of those scripture references, they are in the Sunday program, so that, that's on the app, that's, that's in the notes section of this message, and so you can go back and you can see all of this, and you can read these scriptures more in depth. I, I wanted to be able to kind of give you an arsenal of things that you may need. Now, first next step, we're gonna talk about next steps right now at the very beginning of the message. I would love for you to join us this week as we read our Bible plan. Okay, this is a great opportunity for you throughout the week to chew on this and to, to see where this goes. How do I take these scriptures and, and let scripture define what I believe, not just what I think or feel or what I've learned from society. So please join us in that. You can get the link there from that, that QR code. Join us in reading scripture just a little bit each day. We can make comments and we can talk back and forth about it. Uh, uh, this is a great week to join us on that. So what I want to do is talk about five different keys about health, the, like pillars that we have to be able to go, okay, whatever I believe, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rest on these different pillars. We need to have these key things in perspective. We have a lot of bad habits. We have a lot of uh, terrible beliefs that, that we pile on about this topic because when, when, we, when we say this word, we think of like little red pitchfork or we think about like angel and demon on our shoulder and like do this or don't do that. We, we get this message in cartoons from a very early age. We have a lot of universalist tendencies in our society that, that smooth things over and just like, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something or as long as you're a good person or, okay, so we have a lot that we need to deconstruct. I, I realize that. So these five keys, these, wherever we go, we have to be able to build our foundation on these five keys, all right? So the very first thing, the thing that we have to start with, we cannot talk about this topic if we don't have this first one in place. This is like the umbrella strategy of the whole thing, and that is God's desire. What is God's desire? God's desire is that all are saved. God desires that 
all are saved. And if this isn't the very first thing that goes in to, to help formulate your ideas on this topic, then, then we're doing something wrong. I, I know you want something more controversial or more edgy or more interesting for like the very first point, but this is where we are. We have to come back to this. As we look at 2 Peter 3, 9, this is what it says to us, all right? It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, all right? This is last week as we talked about why do bad things happen? Sometimes we're like, fix this now, God. Come on, like we don't like all of, all of the bad things in this world. Fix it. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Does anybody need the patience of God? Anybody need that? I, I need that. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is God's heart, that no one would perish, but everyone would come to repentance. We don't want to veer, we don't, we don't want to go off track. We, we have to come back to the central truth right here. Um, so if God's desire is that all are saved, some of you are picking up on that word desire right? There's, that's, a, that's a hopeful word. That's a longing word. That's a word that it doesn't necessarily mean that will happen. God's desire is that all are saved. This is where we start to get uncomfortable. Number two, second key, our reality, not all will be saved. I, I, don't, I don't like this part. I, I really don't. What does Romans 3.23 say to us? It says, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, right? Me as well and you and your friend and your neighbor and your spouse and your kids. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is what? It's death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. As we keep going in Matthew, Jesus tells this story in Matthew 7. He talks about there, there being two gates or, or being two, two roads. And there's a wide road, all right? The, and that wide road leads to destruction. It's broad. It leads to destruction. Many enter through it. And, and he tells us, no, no, no. Narrow is the road. Small is the gate that leads to life. Only a few will find it. I, I'm uncomfortable with that truth. I, 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 come on, God, you want, surely you want everyone to be saved. This is where you are. This is your heart, right? The very first key was that God's desire is that all will be saved. And then we have to wrestle with this and say, yeah, but not everyone will. I don't get it. I don't like it. This is where, as we talked last week, it comes back to that word of free will. And if we have the ability to accept forgiveness and to accept the salvation of Jesus, well, what does that also mean? That also means that we have the ability to reject Jesus's never-ending love. If we have the free will, we have the ability to accept it. We also have the ability to reject it. And we have to realize that evil is real. Like Satan is real. We, we believe it in God and we're like, yeah, cool. Of course God's real. I, like I get that. I believe in that. Angels, sure. Yeah, of course. But, but 
if there's a good, is there an evil? Can we acknowledge the other side of that? Do we believe that Satan is real? Do we believe, like 1 Peter 5.8 says, that, um, that, that the devil prowls around. The devil's like a lion looking for someone to devour. That's the world and the environment that we live in. We have to be careful. Hebrews tells us that since the children, this is talking about the, the children of God have flesh and blood, Jesus shared in the humanity. Jesus came here so that by his death he might break the power over death. And that Jesus would free those who are held in slavery by the fear of death. That's what Jesus does. Jesus came here as a rescue mission because we need to be rescued. I was talking with a buddy this week and I love him dearly. He's maybe a little rough around the edges and um, he asked me what I was preaching on and I was like, well, I'm, I'm preaching on hell. He goes, you're preaching on hell? I said, yeah, aren't you interested in hell? He goes, I'm interested in staying the hell out of there. And I was like, yeah, get it. see, that? there you go. Like, this is why we need to talk about this, all right? Um, and so as we, as we do that, um, that was my driving motivation in high school. That, that's one of the main reasons why I got into ministry in, in the very beginning, because I had, I had people that I wanted to make sure knew what this was all about. I had people that, that I wanted to save. I had friends that, that I wanted to communicate with and make sure that they understood who Jesus was and what he did for them. That was a burning desire in my heart and it changed my career path. It, it changed how I lived. It changed the words that I used. It, it changed the places I went on the weekends. It changed how I spent my money and my time and it changed what I did with my life. That's why this is important. That's why we, we need to talk about this. As we, we think about this, we, God's desires that all are saved. But the key number two, not all will be saved. And, and that's where we have to look at scripture on this next one. We have to be able to look and, and go, okay, what's the whole point of this? What, what's hell's purpose? What is it all about? And, and hell's purpose is all about punishing evil, all right? So it gets a little nerdy here. This is a little, probably a little more the seminary part. We're gonna do a grammar lesson. We're gonna do a history lesson, okay? I'll, I'll keep it interesting, I, I promise, okay? Um, so the first one, grammar lessons, there's really three words in the Bible used for hell. The first one in the Old Testament is this word sheol, and it just means uh, realm of the dead. It's very general, general sense, okay? Um, the New Testament word Hades, we, this is a word that we use, is, oh, it's hot as Hades, right? We use that here. Very similar in just the, the underworld, realm of, the, you know, not anything specific. But Jesus, when he talks, he uses a very different word. He uses this word Gehenna. And this is a very interesting word because the Hebrew word is Gehenna, as in the valley of Hinnom, all right? This is a very real place southwest of Jerusalem. It is a very real place that has a lot of history. And this is where the history lesson comes in. Why would Jesus, when he uses the word hell, why would he use the word Gehenna? This meant something for them. This was, oh, oh yeah, that, that place, I get it. Here's why he would use it. 
in the Old Testament, um, there was a god, that uh, pagan god, that was a, it was a pretty bad god. He was a pretty bad dude. Was, the god's name was Molech. And Molech demanded a, a number of things, and one of those was uh, child sacrifice. And when Israel came out of Egypt... And they, they took over the, the Canaan, the promised land, right? This is the religion of the people that were in Canaan. And this is why God's like, no, you need, to, you need to push them out. You need to get rid of them. But they didn't all the way. And the kings of Israel fell into this trap of worshiping Molech. King Ahaz gets in trouble with this. King Manasseh gets in trouble with this. And they, they actually sacrifice their children in the fire. They engage in the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Uh, King Josiah comes in and he kind of reforms everything, cleans this up. But this land, this Valley of Hinnom, was cursed land. The only thing that it was used for was a, a burial place in that time. You, you wouldn't go there. You wouldn't build there. You wouldn't hang out there. You wouldn't take a picnic there. It was just a burial place. It has a, a long and dark and evil history. By the time Jesus comes along in the scene, this place southwest of Jerusalem was used as the city dump. And so when Jesus used this word, Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, people associate all of this stuff. Oh yeah, you're talking about that place where all of this evil happened? Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, you're talking about the place where the city dump is? That makes sense, because I know what that place is like. That's where we throw our dead bodies. That's where we, we throw out our trash. That's where we have these fires that burn continually to consume the things. That's where the stray dogs go and, and fight over scraps. That's where there's this rotting that happens. There's a stench there. These all very real descriptors of this, this is what it looks like for hell, this is literally hell on earth. The, the Bible tries to exhaust human language to describe this thing and this place. It meant something to them. It was a very real thing. If you come down to what is Jesus saying, what's the imagery that he's using, knowing the, the word and knowing the, the context and the history, this is a place where God is not present. This is a place that is totally separated from the presence of God. What is hell like? It is total separation from God. Here's the deal. In our world, we, we have no idea what that's like. We have no idea what it's like to not have the positive influence of, of love and grace and beauty and like all the things around us, relationships and friendships and, and servanthood and people giving and sharing, like all of these things, we have no idea what it's like to be in a place where God would totally be absent, where his presence wouldn't be known and felt at all. We have the fingerprints of God all over our world. 
We have to remember the key. What's the key? What's the point of hell? It's to punish evil, like real evil, beginning with Satan. Then the people that commit those atrocities, like it, it is, that's why it's there. It is that sense of justice within us that's like, yes, that's good. We should deal with that. And we take hope and solace in the fact that God will deal with that in the future one day and it will eventually be gone. Here's another uncomfortable part. This is extended to include punishment for those who don't know and obey Jesus. It's almost like if you live a life wanting nothing to do with God, that God might finally grant you that wish. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 says this. It says, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I hope right now that you have a sense within you of being uncomfortable. I hope that within your heart right now, you have the sense of, of that not being right and not being just. Because that, that's, that's hard to read scripture and to take in. Now, I don't want that to be in scripture. I don't want to talk about that. I think it'd be a nice time to tell a story. Sound good? A uh, little, little release valve here. Uh, Jesus tells this story, and he tells a story about a rich man and Lazarus. Uh, not the Lazarus that his friend he raised from the dead, just, just a guy named Lazarus. And so he tells this story, and this is, a, is interesting the way that he tells it. He's, he's not really saying that it's a real story that happened. It's not a parable, because parables are kind of true in every situation. It's kind of this theme that you can apply and, and adapt to any situation. Um, but nevertheless, Jesus tells this story and, and there's something for us to learn and to take from it. So he tells the story, there's this rich man, this, this guy is loaded, he's dressed in purple and fine linen. In order to get the dye to make purple linen, it, he's probably royalty of some kind because it was so expensive, like purple, it just doesn't happen. It's, it's a big deal, luxury in every way, okay? Uh, at the gate, at, at this rich guy's gate, we don't even get a name for this guy, but at his gate, there's this beggar and his name is, is Lazarus. He's covered in sores. He just, he's hungry. He longs to eat the food that falls from his table. Um, dogs come, dog, like, you know, he's just, he's like one of the, one of the pack of dogs. Like, he's ceremonial unclean. He's, a, he's cut off from God because of his state. As we continue, um, it says, at the, there was a time that came where Lazarus died. Or yeah, the, the beggar Lazarus, he passes away. The angels carry him to Abraham's side. The rich man also dies and, and he's buried. In Hades, where the rich man was in torment, he looks up, he saw Abraham far away, and he sees Lazarus by the side of Abraham. And he, and he calls out, like, Abraham, have pity on me. Like, send Lazarus down. Just let him dip his finger in water and, and cool my tongue. He's, he's in agony, all right? And Jesus responds to him here. 
And he says, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us, between you and I, there's this great chasm that's been set in place. People that want to go from one place to another can't. You can't cross over that. And so he quickly shifts gears and he's like, okay, forget about that. I'm not going to get some help, but maybe you can help my family. Hey, Abraham, I have five brothers. Can you send word to them? Can you let them know what happened to me? So I don't want them to have the same fate. Help them. And Abraham says, well, they, they have Moses and they have the prophets. Let, let your brothers listen to them. And he's like, well, but if, if someone came to them, if, if someone from the dead goes to them, like surely they will listen. And Abraham says, if they do not listen to, the, to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, I am very uncomfortable with someone suffering in this way in this story, especially with some amount of duration to it. It's, I don't like it. I don't exactly know what we need to take from like how much we read in to every aspect of the story. It doesn't seem like Jesus is trying to say, hey, here's what this is like and here's how all of this works. So build your theology off of this. But there, there is two key takeaways right here, okay? Takeaway one, the rich man doesn't complain about his suffering. It doesn't seem unjust to him. He doesn't cry out, why God, like, why is this happening? There's this sense that it makes sense to him. And then his fate This presence of hell as described in the story, it it prompted a response in him. Hey, hey, there's work to do because of this. Hey, I I, I want someone to go and to change things as a result of this. There is a response. Here's our next key. When we hear about this, there's a response that needs to take place. And that is to prepare And that is to labor and to work towards this goal. Jesus, he talked about hell way more than we we think. He he actually talked about this quite a lot. Um, But he did so primarily only in the presence of believers. This was a motivating factor for those that identified with God. Hey, get to work. we, We have work to do. Jesus tells these three stories in Matthew 25, all back to back. He, he talks about lamps and he talks about um, like preparing for this, for this wedding and you need to have the oil, you need to have it ready so that you're prepared and ready to move when that comes. He, he tells a story about uh, th- three bags of gold or he gives bags of gold to three different people. You may have heard it as the story of the talents. Talents is a unit of money. And so he gives this money to people and the more moral of the story is, as this parable as he tells it is like you need to go work you need to hustle you need to grind you've been entrusted with this task so get about it and go do it and then he tells a story about sheeps and goats all these three stories back to back these sheeps and goats and he's going to separate them and and reward some and, and punish some and the defining factor of of who's in what side is is if they serve the poor like did they work at it Did you do something 
with this time and place. Jesus talks a lot about hell, but it's always a motivating factor for believers to get involved and to work and to do things. Uh, one of my favorite preachers and teachers, his name is, is Mark Moore. He was a Bible study or a Bible college professor. He was an interim preacher at my home church for a long time. He's, a, he's at a, a church in Arizona now. And, and he talks about faith. He, he talks about this word faith as we, th- as we think about it, um, fidelity. Right? Don't think faith like a mental uh, wish, a mental hope or, or, or a longing. Think of faith in, in terms of fidelity. Fidelity is about loyalty and it's about commitment. It's more than just a head knowledge. It's more than just a, a hope that, that we believe in something. Uh, loyalty and a commitment is about doing the work. If you really have faith, if you really are, are working and believing in this, then we're gonna see some action as a result of it. it. That's how we know that there is faith because we see that loyalty and we see that commitment. And Jesus tell, talks about this to believers to say, hey, let's get involved, let's get in the game. Let's, we, we have work to do, this is important. Now. I realize that the Old Testament talks about um, faith being attributed to people. Uh, their, their faith, their belief, their trust, was a, righteousness was attributed to them, all right? So there are a lot of questions. We, we can talk a whole lot about, like, what does it mean for people before Jesus and, and how did that all work? I know Romans talks about, there's, it kind of opens the door, this possibility of through nature, you can look out and you can see that, that there is a God, that there is a creator, there's a maker. And, and your response to that and how you live, your, your uh, loyalty and your commitment to that, whatever the, the understanding, the faith, the fidelity of that, that, that somehow God works in the midst of that. I, I get that. But here's what I really know. Here's what the Bible is really clear on. A believer's response to hell should be to prepare and to labor. That's what we do. We work at it. But our response is different than our message. Okay? Our response is different than our message. Our response is to prepare and labor. But that's not necessarily, we don't have to go at non-believers. We don't have to stand with a a picket sign and a a bullhorn to to spread that message. We have a different message to spread. What we can do is our message is love and our message is forgiveness. Forgiveness. I'm going to pause right here and just think about, my my wife helped me realize this uh, this week, that our Journey Kids classes, we were closed for an entire year, right? Uh, Last year during the pandemic, we we didn't have the volunteers to be able to open up classes. We didn't have the supplies that we needed. And, And we went a year without having kids in this building, without teaching them who Jesus is, and without helping build their faith. So right now, I'm going to pause. The, the first next step you can do, join our Bible plan this week. Let's dive into this a little bit more. The, the second next step that I'd love to invite you in is to, to serve. To, to put that faith into action, to spread that message of love and forgiveness to kids. They, they haven't had that input in the last year. How important would it be right now? If you're not currently serving, you're not currently involved, here's a great place for you to do it. 
We have more work to do with our kids to, to, to help them with that. As we talk about our message, what is the, the message that we have for people? It's, it, we, don't, we don't have to come at them with fear. We don't have to come at people with, um, with, with mean, scary ultimatums. We can come at people and we can, we can talk to people that are far from God. Here's the deal. If, if I'm far from God and you start t- telling me that God knows me, that God cares about me, you, you start telling me as a, as a lost person that's far from God that uh, God's made a way for me, that I can experience forgiveness, that, that God has a hope and a plan for me. You start telling me that God has given me specific gifts that I can use, that I can be a part of something bigger than myself. I can be a part of a kingdom mo- movement. You start telling me that I, I have value and that I have worth because of what Jesus has done for me. You, we start communicating that message to people that are far from God, people that don't know God, whatever moniker you want to use, lost people, far from God, and non-believers. But we start instilling hope that you can be a part of something. You can, be, you can help heal a broken world, that God can reside inside of your heart that he has blessed you, he's equipped you, that he wants to know you, that he will give you a spirit to be able to encourage you and give you wisdom. These are all amazing things. That's the message that will move people closer to Jesus. So for us, our, our job as believers is to prepare and to get involved in the action, but our message and what we share to the world is love and acceptance and forgiveness. Ephesians 2 says this, as you, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. You were dead in your sins. You used to follow the way of of the world. You used to live in darkness and disobedience. We all did that at one time. We all gratified the cravings of our flesh. We all followed that, that evil desire and thoughts. However, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, what did he do? He made us alive in Christ. It's by grace that we've been saved. Not through faith, not through yourselves. It's a gift. It's not through works so that people can't boast. It's God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's the message. And so this morning, if, if that's you and, and you, you experience that, you kind of understand that for the very first time, my last next step that you can do this week, make the decision to get baptized with us. On May 22nd, at the end of this message, we're gonna do baptisms again. There's a a thing on the QR code there that you can get involved. You can make this decision and you can say, hey, that is what I believe. Hey, I do want that in my life. We're gonna take communion now. And if you didn't get it, there's some communion by the back door. This is why we do this. It's so that every Sunday we come together and that we remember what Jesus did. That I don't want a Sunday to happen that we don't proclaim the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. 
that we don't talk about how he can redeem us and how he can heal us and how he can put us on a new path and a new mission. But it all starts with this right here, a little piece of bread. We remember that Jesus and his body, he was broken for us because he loves us. Let's eat, let's remember him. And we remember that it's his sacrifice, the shedding of his blood that forgives us of our sins so that we can be a part of this movement. Let's remember Jesus as we drink together. Would you pray with me?